So very briefly, just to go back and just summarize a bit, compassion is everything for Julian. And it has compassion for God, which for her is mediated through relationship with the human suffering and divine self of Jesus. That allows for a compassion with herself, to be open and attuned to her experience, which starts with suffering, but then also passes into joy. Um, and then also compassion for the world. And uh, a gentleman was speaking about uh, a sensitivity to living things. And I, I would use the word reverence. You said respect and but a, a reverence. Maybe something what we're talking about here is learning how to walk in the world in a different way, to be sensitive to the, the, the livingness of those other things that we bump into day by day. Um, and I've said that if I am attuned to myself, to an adequate extent. We're never really fully, totally attuned, but we can be more attuned, that I'm more capable of receiving you and being attuned to you. And so I can feel my own self, and what's going on with me, and I can know a bit what's going on with you at the same time. And I find that to be profoundly mysterious and wonderful and kind of like what life is all about. I don't know, when I'm able to be a self and to be in touch with my reality in such a way that I can welcome you and know something of what it's like to be you and to know myself and to be in relationship with you, well, that is amazing. And I think maybe it's just me, but I know that that's kind of what I want. You might call it love, I suppose, but that is what I want. And when we do that, when we are attuned to one another in that way, and we do that with care and attention, non-judgmentalness, um, that's intimacy, right? When I sort of know you, I feel you within me, and I know that you're feeling me within you, I mean, that's kind of like we're really in touch. What therapists call relational depth. So we both know we're experiencing each other and ourselves, and we're sharing that at the same time. That's fantastic. A lot of stuff gets in the way. Fear coming out of our hurt is the primary uh, block to empathy. And the neuroscientists tell us that who study empathy, that the brain reaction uh, of fear and anxiety blocks empathic openness to the experience of the other. And that comes out of hurt and a fear of hurt. There's anger, resentment. All these things kind of get in the way of either me being attuned to myself or being attuned to you or anything else. And as I was writing these notes up, I thought, I could even go back and reclaim the seven deadly sins. I mean, it's something that says, whether it's lust, greed, anger, despair, envy. We're all so worked up with envy these days, amongst other things. Um, pride, seven maybe, um, as things that get in the way of this empathic openness to each other, and all as arising out of um, the as yet unredeemed hurt in our lives. So what I tried to suggest in my first talk uh, was that Julian would say that if you want to grow in compassion, if you want to grow into sort of attunement with yourself and with others, 
It's what we sort of gradually grow into, step by step. Um, yes, it might be helpful to have a devotional relationship with the, with the humanity of Jesus. It certainly was for me um, the way that I began to encounter myself and be able to be with myself. Um, and you may want to do something like dropping all shall be well into your life. Because I think you drop all shall be well into your life. And it might be nice to start with, powerful to start with. But it's also, as I've said, a catalyst, which, which, which brings out immediately, uh, makes clear all that is in us that is not well and that resists that. And we have to get to know that if it's going to be healed. I don't think God just goes along healing all that resistance without our knowing it. It's a, it's a process of our knowing it, knowing what's unwell, knowing our resistance to God's wellness, our resistance to love, that God can get in there and begin to sort of heal it. But we have to see it first. We have to know it first. In the course of my, my time in England, I was speaking with somebody who had been um, in Paris when the terrorist bombings occurred, coming back from a vacation in Italy all things. And she said that she experienced a full-throated wrath against God at that time. That she was just profoundly wrathful that God would allow that to happen. Angry. Julian's word is wrath. But angry. Wrathful against God. And what she said was that just having that experience of, of allowing yourself to be wrathful was transformative beyond just the terrorist bombings. It did something much more than that in the whole of her life. So we kind of talked about this, and we were wondering, well, yeah, well, Julian does say that God has no wrath for us, but we have wrath for God. And maybe that's always just kind of going along in our lives, some kind of subtle resentment, some bitterness, some wrathfulness about the way things are. And for my friend, when that finally kind of blew open with the terrorist bombings, because it's so bad, it allowed for that wrath to be addressed at a deeper level across the whole of our life. So I'm wondering if sorry, part of the therapeutic effect of like all shall be well is that if we really listen to it, it can call out that what is unwell and allows it to sort of be taken up by God into a process for its healing. So Julian, I, I would say, would, presents us with that. She presents us with the suffering humanity of Jesus and the unconstrained joy of God, which is translated into I'm in all things, making all things well, which can be a catalyst for therapeutic process, divine therapy. But we might want to do meditation as well. Um, Julian unlike the cloud of unknowing, the other great 14th century author doesn't say, here's a method for silent prayer or meditation. What happens with Julian is that she is, she's led in this relationship of compassion, which unfolds to a sense of unconditioned wellness, God, and she loses herself in that entirely. And then she comes back, back to language, back to selfhood, back to life. But, I think that many of us in this room practice meditation daily, and I think meditation can be also a help into that kind of intimacy of mutual attunement. So 
what I'm calling it now, I suppose. It's a meditation to help in that journey towards mutual attunement with other people, other things, other life, with God. And that seems important to me um, because when I, when I came out of the monastery and tried to figure out my life, I went to Norwich where I had lots of friends. And, um, and I thought I would, I would, I decided after about a week of eating baguettes and coffee whenever I wanted to, um, that maybe I should do something more with my life. Um, and I thought maybe I'll be a counselor and um, a person-centered counselor. And the idea was that I could bring into a relationship with people who are suffering some of that contemplative openness and attunement and presence and non-judgmentalness that I had practiced for 20 years in the monastery. So maybe that would be healing for people. And it kind of fits with the whole person-centered approach. So I thought, yeah, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll sort of bring my, sort of my contemplative prayer and, and, and that the self that is experienced or explored or opened in contemplative experience and offer that to others in the counseling room and see if that could be facilitative towards their healing. And it wasn't quite that simple. Um, but what we practice uh, in contemplative prayer is a different way of being. We let go of our self agenda, our self anxiety. We let go, we open up, we bring our bodies in. We have that kind of attunement with this moment. And really, in the John Main tradition, you're just saying your word, you're not looking for special experiences that's kind of facilitating, uh, I would call it, um, an attuned openness to self and God and reality. So that's what we're sort of doing. I hope that's something right. <laughs> so you're the expert or something. <laughs> um, it's a, it's a non-violent, non-judgmental um, acceptance of what is. And we're kind of sort of practicing that in that little half hour of Meditation, silence. Just, it's kind of, a, it's also an acceptance. It's a letting go. It's a surrender. All those things that I talked about in Julian. So, I begin to wonder, like, what is it like when I turn that from my my experience in meditation, and what happens when I open that and turn that to my experience of something outside myself? So it becomes kind of like a venue in which you can be. So. So I don't come at you with all my agendas and my anxieties and my need to fix you, my need to diagnose you, or whatever it is, all that ratcheting away and I need to get there and you need to get there. And I come to you with that same kind of whatever happens in this hour, happens. You're here. I'm here. And I accept whatever you bring to this time. And truth be told, I had been exposed to person-centeredness um, when I was still in the monastery and had learned some of like leadership skills uh, through it. So I practiced uh, being kind of the non-leader leader who would just kind of let people do what they wanted and when it seemed kind of wacky to kind of say what's going on and just be this non-judgmental presence. And I found the brothers and sisters found their way back into the life of the community, like the, the disruptive ones. 
the pain in the ass. Sorry, brothers and not sisters. None of them are like that. Um, if, just if, if, if they were in a really difficult place, I could say, you know, our rule says you have to be nice to the superior or something like that, or you have to do this and have to do that. And it just, it just made more conflict and it got awful. But if I said, hey, in a non-judgmental, acceptant, kind of contemplative stance, what's, what's going on? I notice you're really upset. It led to a process of their integration back into the community, into the life. And I had to do it over and over and over again. But it, it, it did something. It was like none. I didn't have to like lead anymore. I just had to be like open and caring about my people. And it allowed something to happen. So I was wondering, as a therapist, like what happens when I do that with people in the counseling room? Say you're driving along in your car. And you're going 70 miles an hour, and you have some great music on because we now can stream any music we want. You're driving along, and you see, you see a flash of pink out in the field. You're like, wow, that's strange. That's like a, that's like a, a wasteland. What was that pink thing? Right? So you slow your car down. I'm like, huh, that's not a, that's not a pink thing. It's not a let's-go bag. I think it's a rose. I think it's a rose. You know, it's 100 yards off. So you stop the car. You get out of the car. Walk over to the rose. And you might see that its roots have been kind of exposed by rain, right? And you might see the beautiful branching veins in its leaves. All, if you spend some time with it, the fine-toothed edges of the leaves. And then the rose. The yellow, the red, the fuchsia, the orange. This petal is dying a bit. It's got some fungus, probably. Then you could spend a year going to the rose every day and learning about that rose and how it opened in the morning, maybe a little bit more, how it was in need of water. You watch the bindweed wrap around it and begin to choke it. And as you did that, you might start to write some poetry because you think, I am that rose. Like, I have that vitality of, of reaching out. And there's a part of me that is just beautiful and open to the sun like that and celebrating life. But I'm also, my roots are kind of washed out. And I'm strained. And I'm dying. The therapeutic thing, I think, is getting out of the car. The agenda, the anxiety, the push, getting away from the distractions, and actually just paying attention to the, the fine-toothed detail of the other person, and the bindweed, and the roots, leaves the flower of their life. Just giving them that kind of attention to really see what's there. And, I, and our contemplative practice allows us to do this. Just take a half hour and be attentive to somebody in that way. Not a rose, somebody else in your life. I think the other begins to 
silence welcomes the other. The other begins to unfold and reveal themselves in all their complexity. So often we just see, what do we see? Flash of pink, flash of red. Scary person, nice person, weird person, right? Then you pay attention and the whole life just kind of opens up. And then you find yourself resonating with that life and you're like, I am kind of that person too. And oh my gosh, there's that and this and this. Just like we did with the rose. That's like a first step, I think. And the next step, I think, is the mutuality of it. And this is what I learned in counseling that it wasn't enough for me just to be there as kind of this contemplative dude, as it were, to be open to people. Um, outside of the monastic context, that was actually kind of scary for people. So I had to begin to communicate what I was seeing, what I was feeling with them. I had to speak. I think silence does welcome the other. Yeah, that works as a title. It's nice. But it's it's not adequate because the other has to have a silence and I have to speak in that as well. Both things have to happen for a relationship to happen. Both my silence welcoming you, giving you a place to be, showering you with that attention I give to the rose, but then also you offering me your silence so I can speak and show myself. How this works for me at my home I can't do it in the really hard conversations, which are about, you know, when it's angry and the kids are yelling and, oh my God, the pork chops aren't thawed and it's terrible and the guests are coming and da, da, da. But at special times, trying to talk about what's really important in life, and my wife can say this, and I know that I don't see it that way. And I know that I can feel threatened, maybe nervous, but I can hold her sense and communicate that back to her with acceptance, care for that, and then say, yes, that's there, and I totally affirm that, and I am here too, and there's this. And that, I think, is what begins to create that kind of relational depth, that kind of intimacy when you're able to be with the other person and recognize what they're saying and affirm that and, and communicate your reaction to it, perhaps, but also your difference, that you're there, and you're both willing to have that difference hang there. And so it's kind of like that we can have this contemplative stance towards each other, which allows each of us to be, but it involves not only silence, I think it involves speaking. And I, I learned this in like one of my first ever practice sessions with a fellow counseling trainee. And uh, she was beginning to share about some painful stuff in her life. And I was trying to practice my listening skills. And I thought I was listening great. And then suddenly she just began to freak out. So I wasn't saying anything. She had no idea what I was feeling in response to her, which made her feel undermined insecure and afraid. I worked in the monastery just to sit there and go, huh? But I had to learn that, that, and I had to be even braver and bring myself forward 
in my relationships. My wife also, when I was practicing empathy, she'd be like, stop it. <laughs> How do you feel, Robert? How do you feel? Um, so in this journey um, into relationship and welcoming the other and Julian, I think we've got some clues. I think we need to be attuned to ourselves to begin with. And you know, we have this journey with Jesus, and maybe like this dialogue between our hurt and his hurt. And I think at times, meditation for me is, is kind of just a momentary break in the insanity of life, like when I'm jet lagged and landing in England and all this stuff, 22 hours on traveling and all this crazy stuff. And, and I'm, I'm not in a place where I'm going to be like attuned to the wonder of God. Um, but it's just a break, like away from myself for a moment. But then there's like meditation, which is that opening to that, the full experience of the self. And the self is more like congenial to, to being present to itself. Um, so we have all these things. We have this potential of a devotional relationship with God. We have things like the mystics dropping dangerous stuff into our lives, like all shall be well. If you say, oh, thank you, and if you really struggle with it. Um, and we have our contemplative practice in which we're just learning a different way of being and being open to one another. And uh, I am thrilled, I don't know, the prospect that I can have relationships with other people in which I'm there and they're there. I mean, how great is that? I think it's kind of great. So I'll end on that note and uh, ask for comments, questions,